0: Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpe, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. And welcome to The Common Bridge. This is the second part of the two-part series with Rich's special guest, Beata Kerr, the co-head of investment strategies and national managing director in the Chicago office of Bernstein. Now, they left off in the first part of this discussion talking about the economic division in our country and current financial inequities that are causing unease really across the board. Now, if you'd like to hear part one, it's episode 155 on Apple Podcasts, and you just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find us on Substack. Also search for the Common Bridge. We now join Rich and Beata in conversation. There's two things that struck me in listening to One, in the Trump tax reforms, while they lowered marginal rates, they also took out a number of deductions. And chief among them, the limitation on state and local taxes where they capped it at $10,000. So it affects very, very few people, mostly in high-tax states like California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, but very, very wealthy people who could deduct the property taxes on their very expensive homes, and their income taxes on their high incomes. To me, that was a quality. It's like you shouldn't have, you know, you California wealthy California, New Yorker, Chicago, and whatever, you shouldn't have somebody in the Midwest subsidizing your federal tax bill. Yet the opposition party has tried like eight times to reverse that. And it's patently beneficial to just the upper one percent of the one percent. And then I also look at California, where I just read it can take a new homeowner 100 years to save the down payment for a home. It's untenable. And so my conclusion is the object of the game for an economy is not to drive higher stock prices and to get people uber wealthy, particularly people that just inherited it. The object of the game for an economy is to distribute and allow more opportunity more growth so that people can have a better standard of living. And I think your point on unions, there was an era where if you were working for one of the big three automotive, blue collar job, UAW, you had a great standard of living. Where is that for Amazon, Google, Apple, and today's big companies? You don't have that. And that to me is the seismic shift we need to get after.
1: There is... I really try to avoid, you know, politicizing kind of policy conversation. As you can imagine, we work with clients on all sides of the policy spectrum and um, political parties, right? And I think, unfortunately, the world has become so polarized that no matter what you say, right, it can be interpreted differently. So we really just try to stick to the facts. And the facts are, as we've previously discussed, there is Inequity in terms of ownership of financial assets in America. There's no debating those facts, that the concentration of wealth is just about the highest it's been in history. And, and I mean, I don't know why anybody would be surprised that I can't really argue against the facts. You look at the innovation that's occurred in America, and that's what gives me hope that with whatever policy decisions have been made and whatever it is that we're dealing with today that are these systemic challenges of the future. One thing that we can continue to say is that, yes, there might have been some excess and some growth stocks and some technology stocks, but look at the innovation that has occurred. It hasn't all occurred abroad, right? That democracy and entrepreneurialism is really alive and well in America in terms of how do we form companies? Where do we get the talent to grow companies Those companies make a difference, not always for the best. You know, I'm not saying, again, did social media add value to the economy? Did it reduce productivity? Did it decrease value? But did did we innovate? I mean, Uber is an enormous innovation. That was an enormous disruption to the way we thought about our lives. You look at Meta today. I was actually just watching a documentary on Netscape this week, and I was reminded when they talk about the World Wide Web, as this concept that nobody understood back in that time, it's a little bit like meta talking about meta today where people are trying to get their arms around. What is this? How's this going to work? Remember when Facebook bought Instagram, nobody knew what Instagram was. Nobody could imagine a day of just sharing pictures all day. And now if you have a teenage daughter like me, you can see how much it's influenced people's lives. So again, we can debate is social media, for example, innovation that drove outcomes that were positive. There's challenges with it, but company growth and idea creation and new company formation, we still have the edge there, right? And you know, and I want to have some hope and positivity in the conversation because that wealth creation really did come from so much innovation and so much Wealth creation was really driven by these new entities being formed.
0: Well, at risk of going down a a fairly lengthy tangent in history, when there's been a technological breakthrough that wealth has accrued to fewer people, you can see it with the, you know, the Carnegie's and the Mellon's, the Rockefeller's, as those technological changes came in when the automotive entrepreneurs succeeded. And now we see it with the technology innovators. But my sense, and having had a career in technology, I think there's two elements to the technology wealth creation that weren't present before. And the first of those is that those companies can block out innovation way more effectively than you could have done it with the railroads or the oil exploration or with automobile manufacturing. So their ability to influence the economy. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing, the life cycle of products is astonishingly fast. fast. It it took, you know, we're still basically have the same transportation model uh, that we had when Henry Ford was in his heyday. And they think about in our adult lifetime, products that were innovative, everybody had it. And that are gone and sunsetted and people joke about them and your kids have never heard of it. The Palm
1: Pilot. I was so excited about the Palm Pilot when I had it back in business school. I thought that was really cool. My Blackberry, they had to wrestle away from me as well. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The the laser disc, the (laughs) CD-ROM, the baited Mac. I I mean, write down the the fax machine, all right? How
1: about a a, a wired phone? My kids do not know what a wire phone looks like. They saw a phone booth when we were in London and asked what it was. So yeah.
0: Well, let's try to bring this into the households right now. So advice. So for those people that are younger, let's say 40 or less, again, dating myself, presuming they don't have a major inheritance or they haven't won the lottery or something else. How should they be thinking about? Their financial security and perhaps creating their
1: financial security? Um, Well, I'm going to come back to one of the key definitions that we talked about at the outset this idea of strategic asset allocation. You're under 40, you're saving for your first home, perhaps. Maybe you have children, you're saving for college, you're saving for your own retirement, you're in accumulation mode. You are increasing your own human capital, what you will make in your cash flow, whether you're an entrepreneur or on a regular W 2 income. You should be thinking about your investing in terms of tiers of time. When do you need the money? What is it that you're saving for? And then adjusting your strategic asset allocation based on that time, that bogey. So your bogey is retirement. Let's say you're maybe you're 15 years away. The retirement age you know, may not be 65 anymore. And by the way, retirement doesn't look like what it used to. People are working longer. They're working in quote unquote retirement. I've talked a lot about that on my podcast, actually. Um, but you should continue to believe that the stock market will be the largest driver of your returns in order to facilitate that saving and investing for those longer period of times. And today, we're recording this at a point in time where the market's down pretty notably year to date. So I look at that and I say, did biotech companies lose all their patents Are robotics and automation companies going away? Are companies that are facilitating a distributed ledger in the blockchain? Or again, other innovation technology companies have really taken it on the chin. I mean, Netflix may not have as many streamers as they did. Peloton, you can only have so many bikes and treads in your house. But you take these extreme examples away and you look at companies that are going to continue to innovate. They are on sale. You don't give up on the stock market just because, you know, the Warren Buffett quote, kind of the daily price change, the value of the company didn't. So if you're not investing today, you should be, and you should turn off CNBC, <laughs> um, probably Bloomberg as well. <laughs> Apologies. I know I'm on TV, but you know, the point is that that's not helpful to think intraday. It's helpful to think what's that timeframe. You're saving for retirement. What happens tomorrow in the stock market is not relevant. Put your money in a mix of a strategic allocation that works for you. Work with an advisor to figure out that number that you need to save and, and just go about your day, right? Continuously invest. Take that money out of your monthly paycheck and make sure you're allocating a portion to not just savings. You know, savings makes it sound like you're not doing anything with the money because the rates are low in the bank, allocate it to investing. I mean, that's the best advice I could give. Don't shy away from the concept of investing because you grew up in an era of global financial crisis or COVID. The markets will recover.
0: And I think that uh, the point you landed on is absolutely the right one. Live below your income. I have a very good friend of mine who's worked in retail most of his career. We're the same age. He's just recently retired. And he's got a really nice portfolio, doing a lot of the things that you've advised. And I said, "Well, Mark, I said, what's your key to success?" And he said, "Peanut butter <laughs> and jelly." I'm like, "What?" He says, "Yeah." He says, uh, "I go to work. He goes, I make myself a sandwich. I pack myself a lunch. He goes, I see these guys going out to, to lunch. They're spending, you know, seven, eight, ten dollars. That's it could be sixty bucks a yeah. week." you know, and, and he he does the, the math on that. What does that work out to? $3,000? <laughs> uh,
1: well, the lattes at Starbucks. I mean, that's, the, you know, the door dash the the convenience economy, you got to be honest about what's really discretionary spend versus what's mandatory spend in your budget and be able to flex the discretionary, right? If you've got enough, Go for it. If the convenience of the latte delivery by DoorDash, you know, it adds up to be $15 for a coffee, just think about that for a minute. (laughs) Is that, you know, how often are you doing that, right? It's pretty easy to cut the discretionary out with the convenience economy. So,
0: and would you rather have that hypothetical $3,000 spent at Panera Bread or would you rather have $3,000 worth of stocks? And those are the real kinds of decisions that people need to make. And I don't know if you saw the recent quote, I think he was talking about DoorDash, but the uh, CEO of Domino's Mm -hmm. just said, we've never figured out a way to make money on delivery. (laughs) I don't know how you, we make money on making pizzas. Like, I don't know how you can make money on delivery. And I'm thinking, okay, who's the, you know, uh, who's the mark at the table? It's the, the guy that, you know, is paying for that delivery for that convenience
1: live but live below your means so you know summing up rich to your point best advice whether you're under 40 or over 40 know what your core capital is like this idea of what's that money that you need to finance your retirement to finance that college education or whatever it is you're saving for that first house second house and think about those discretionary spend items You know, using a budget kind of aggregation app like Mint, I really do recommend so you can see the categories that you're spending in. And I talk a lot about making sure that they're tied to your values and your happiness. Because I think personally experience spending. I think Mint is terrific. It's owned by, you know, Intuit. They do a nice job of just summarizing your spending. You can see your net worth, your spending really at a glance. You have to spend time. I am not sponsored by them. I get no credit for saying this. I've just used it personally for years. Instead of a spreadsheet or handwritten, um, you don't have to go through that really. You can aggregate it uh, pretty readily. And many banking apps now are doing that as well with your credit card. I like to actually put almost everything on a credit card, pay it off every month, but that way you can see the spending. It's just easier when it's digital and available versus kind of the cash economy. And Venmo is a new problem because <laughs> you've got kind of the digital wallets that don't always uh, get covered in these apps.
0: Yeah, and a hearty endorsement on putting things you can on a card because you get your 1% back or something. The proviso, you have it on auto pay because the payment billing cycles are so fast. You're get hit with late fees, which was actually a strategy of some of the credit card companies. Totally,
1: and those are astonishing. I looked at my card this morning. I think it's twenty percent. You know the APR. So yeah. So again, back to your earlier point, Rich, of people growing up in a world where they're not used to that percentage being charged, the late fees will kill you. So never pay those. Right? Auto pay. Use your card, but don't don't use it for a uh, borrowing. <laughs> use it monthly pay down.
0: And your point about Venmo, Zelle, etc. That is spending as well. I will personally confess that I don't have a debit card because when they first came out, I was a person that liked to have a good time and I'd often get to the end of the month. A lot of receipts in my glove box and uh, not enough cash in my account, but it's another story. Beata, are there any current economic policies that you think make sense in today's climate? If you know, Imagine that Jerome Powell called you this afternoon or Joe Biden called you this afternoon and they said, Beata, Give it to me straight. What do you think I ought to do? What might you tell them?
1: Yeah. Well, perhaps I'm going to be biased by my own experience on this front, but I'm going to say that for an economy of our size, the leading economy in the world, one of the biggest misses that we have is the recognition of a social safety net that is required for child care and for parents. The fact that we do not have universal child care policies um, that we're not really thinking about national policies to boost early education and childcare, universal pre K. This pandemic and the recession that we lived through was the worst ever for women. And women have still not recovered to their pre pandemic levels in terms of employment. Why? Childcare wasn't available to them. They had to make tough choices. Many exited the traditional kind of W 2 income job, whether it was hourly and on the lower end of the pay scale or on the high end of the pay scale and said they simply can't do it overseeing children's remote school overseeing the household these are jobs that are not paid in our economy and in other societies and other economies there's a bigger recognition of that and this is one of those societal challenges rich that is not easy to tackle Um, Look, it was 1974. I think the year that I was born, women in America still couldn't have a credit card without their husband's name on it. I think mortgage lending was similarly unequal. So it's not that long that we've had you know really women in the workforce at the highest echelons of of the workforce and still incredibly underrepresented. But wow, did we have a challenge today in terms of policy on childcare, on leave? There's a lot of things that could change uh, for the better here. And it, it's unfortunate that, you know, it's 50% of the population, right, and women are bearing the brunt of both parental care and child care. And oftentimes that happens in these crunch years of middle age. And, and there really isn't a social safety net there uh, through government policy. So I think I don't have the ultimate solution, but I think this is the conversation we need to be having. Um, if we want people on, you know, an equal playing field over time.
0: I want to express my strong agreement with you. And one of the things I've talked about on my program is that the child tax credit, child care tax credit for people that are raising minor children in their home. It is wildly popular on all sides of the political spectrum, but we can't get it through because it gets tied up in bills that have a lot of things that are objectionable to one side or the other. I know that Senator Bernie Sanders has proposed, let's put it through a childcare tax credit as a single item bill. I think it would pass with overwhelming support. It would prevent the tax code from penalizing young families and instead, you know, incent people to, you know what, do that very important job of taking care of that child. And just to pile on to your point about the burden on women in the pandemic, I know women of childbearing age that working, and this sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not, women working remote jobs, working at home and planning to increase their family, you know, get pregnant again, leery about the vaccine, fired for not taking the vaccine when they might be the chief breadwinner or a equal partner in earnings for that family without any kind of recourse. So on top of everything you've mentioned, women did bear the burden of the pandemic. Yada. Yeah, this has been a, a really intriguing conversation. We could probably go on for several yeah. days. Yeah. And I, I'd like that. I'm not sure you would like this, but you'd try I would, about, but I
1: don't know about your listeners. They might be tuning out or finishing their runs by now. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know I, I think a lot of people do listen to the podcast while they're walking, while they're running. It's interesting that we had a lot of folks that listened uh, while commuting. And then the pandemic came and it turned, I I hear from people said, oh, I I listen while I'm on my walk.
1: Walking my dog.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: pandemic puppy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. What didn't we cover today that we uh, perhaps should have discussed?
1: Uh, Let me think about that. Well, we covered really kind of far reaching ground, but I think maybe it's helpful to summarize, you know, think about the basics. Don't get overcomplicated in terms of absorbing The economic news and what to do about it in terms of your own investments. The economy goes through cycles. The market goes through cycles. You're going to live through down cycles on both in your experience as an investor. So trying to time it, get in and out is really tough to do, even for professional investors. Be thoughtful about your spending. Be thoughtful about your risk tolerance, turn off the news sometimes go enjoy life go for a walk listen to podcasts cuddle with your pandemic puppy right and your kids and family but put your investing in many ways on autopilot really set you know set those targets for the long term and review it semi-annually or annually think about adding in innovation to your portfolios it's not saying that you have a static investment pool for 20 years But the risk profile should be pretty static and the ways you access that risk over time can change, right? If you get excited about innovation, sure, add some exposure to innovation to your portfolio. But most of the time, um, unless it's your job or a real hobby that you're fascinated in, think about your other life priorities, make investing work for you. I think that's, that's the best takeaway that we could offer.
0: Well, that is a great closing thought and sage advice coming from someone who has invested her entire adult life in the economy, in the financial markets, who's got a incredibly responsible job saying, you know, it's not the end all be all. It's a thing that can be managed within the risks and the objectives of your life. Any last closing thoughts or, or policy matters you want to make mention of?
1: I'm just honored to be on the show and really grateful to have spent the time. And obviously, good luck to Chair Powell. Um, He's in a tough spot this year. We wish him well. We think he can get a handle on inflation over time. Um, But, you know, the only last thought I'd leave you with is when you see the inflation numbers, your own personal inflation may be very different than what you see the print as. Depends on how many cars you buy, if you're sending kids to college, what your food purchases look like. So, again, personalizing your experience, always thinking about how the big picture story relates to your individual story um, is more a kind of relevant advice to you. If you're not buying a car, you have less sensitivity to inflation than you'd imagine today.
0: Yes, indeed. We've been talking to Beata Kerr of Alliance Bernstein about the economy, about investing, about being at peace, frankly, during these turbulent economic times. The Common Bridge is available on substack.com. That's our richest source of columns, newsletters, video, and archive material, as well as these podcasts. Podcasts are available free on your favorite podcast outlet, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and others. And of course, you can find us on YouTube TV. And so with our guest today, Beata Kerr, this is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Please subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com, where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe. All rights reserved.